10 rounds ago, Aaron and Deb earned their last place finish. In Fort McMurray, Dan and Rhea were unsubscribed from the race. In the Kootenays, Megan and Courtney got giver cooties and didn't use the express pass given to them. And Bangkok, Zed and Shabir rode the wave until it came crashing down. In Newfoundland, Andrew and Ebony hated fake people and got no fake laughs at Swiskies? Swishies? Swirlies, I think it was. Swirlies? Swirlies, I think it actually was, but I'm going to call it Swirlies for now. <laughs> and Adam and Andrea's soup got a little too chunky in Regina, and Karen and Bert were totally bugging in the Sioux as these seven teams were eliminated, and we are down to our final three. I am Logan Saunders, and joining me, as ever, is the guy who thought watching this season is the most intense thing he has ever done, Michael Harmstone. I would say that it's the most emotional thing I've ever done, because this isn't just the finale podcast. This is the last ever Amazing Race Canada podcast that Reality TV Warriors is ever doing. Ever. Unless. Ever. Unless it goes full international or close ever, to ever, full ever, international ever, 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 ever. What if it goes international, though, Michael? Even if it goes international, I do not trust this production team to be able to do it anymore. So, to quote Canadian Dragon's Den, I'm out. <laughs> but if they do go do majority of the race international, I think you would come back. Do what you want, Logan, but I am not covering Amazing Race Canada again. <laughs> but I have a feeling... We are not going to get Majority International next season based on the evidence we have on our hands. Yeah, there is not a single chance in hell that they're ever going to do full international for Amazing Race Canada. So I don't see the point of us ever covering Amazing Race Canada again. We did five full, or I did five full seasons, you did four full seasons. This, it feels like if nothing is changing for next year, Nothing that's changing for the good, because I think we're going to see a very unique season next year that's going to be atrocious, but I don't see things improving enough for next year to make it feel like we're going to get anything new out of this Amazing Race Canada experience. And this, at this time, it feels like all signs are pointing to this being the, the final chapter to the series. Yeah, and I'm slightly disappointed that we actually did cover this season because I like how we left Amazing Race Canada 4. I think we got our opinions across. I think production knew exactly what they had to do and I think that they've just pissed away all of my goodwill. I used to love Amazing Race Canada and now it is one of the worst franchises for me. As bad as Amazing Race Vietnam? Well, I've not properly seen Amazing Race Vietnam so I can't really comment but this season is up there with one of the worst seasons ever. Thankfully, Sam and Paul won, because it would be the worst season ever otherwise, but it's not far away from the bottom. So, before we really break down everything that went wrong with this season, I guess we had to cover the finale itself. Yeah, this finale wasn't terrible. It just wasn't anything to write home about. No, it wasn't a bad finale by any means. The tasks in it, it was... It was definitely one, it was probably the second best leg of the season behind the Panama leg. Had I not known that Kevin and Ryan lost, I think I would have been a lot more worried when watching this episode. I should, I know I'm skipping ahead of it, but I feel, did you, 
You watched the After the Race special, I guess, eh? Oh, of course I did. I love an After the Race special. So, yeah, we find out that if Kevin didn't make the mistake that he did, that Kevin and Ryan would have won this season by half an hour or more. Yeah, they say that. It wouldn't surprise me, though, based on how close they were to Sam and Paul at the finish line and that they nearly beat them at that puzzle. Yeah, they're not exactly prone to telling the truth, though, are they? (sighs) I mean, what would they have had to gain by lying in front of production and the other cast members, though, right there? Sam and Paul could have easily jumped in and said, eh, we don't know about that. This was in the same episode where they were described as fan favourites. I think amongst the casual fans, like, I think their casual fans are the loudest fans, while the Sam and Paul and Corey and Ivana fans are a bit more subdued. Like, I I mean, we are going to be talking a lot about the after the race, because there's a lot to rip it to shreds about. <laughs> in, the, in the defense of the host from the social, in defense of the harpies from the social, there wasn't much material to work with for this after the race special. Oh, I know, but there was some great things that they did in set. <laughs> so, let's start with this finale. Canada, 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 Canada. Sam and Paul are elated in victory. Um, and other teams are heartbroken in defeat along the way. Uh, then it's Sam and Paul versus Corey and Ivana versus the Ultimate Bros, who are not actually bros, Contrary to Confusion Online, where people thought that Kevin and Ryan were indeed brothers. I wouldn't be surprised. (laughs) There's probably some sort of genetic match in there. (laughs) Yes, that'll be for All-Stars. And then we start off in the heart of the Great Lakes, and teams find out that we are off to Quebec City for our first full Quebec City leg in Tar Canada history. And the stakes are crazy high, as Sam would say. And we get reminded of the whole med school thing. Did they not go to Quebec City in season one? Was there a full leg there in season one? It wasn't Quebec City where they did the crate making and things. Oh, it totally was, you're right. So second leg in Quebec City. So that fixes up a stat I was going to mention at the end of the podcast where five of the eight domestic legs this season were overlapping locations from previous seasons. And, yeah, teams have to fly to Quebec City, and then they've got to search outside the airport for the next clue, and they have an astronomical $825 for this leg of the race. That's a lot. (laughs) And obviously, because it's Amazing Race Canada, they fly via Toronto as well. For the fifth or sixth time at least this season. Um, Then, of course, uh, Corn Ivana check out... uh, Start the leg at 3.25 p.m., nearly an hour behind Simon Paul. Of course, that doesn't really matter. They say that they've beaten Simon Paul and Kevin and Ryan before. Then Kevin and Ryan start at 3.35, and it's just yelling, 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 and more yelling from them. And, of course, we connect through Toronto, which I just wrote laugh out loud. And Paul is screaming at Sam over where the roadblock clue is. Sam, Sam, clue's over here. Sam, where are you going? Sam! Sam, I'm literally stood next to the box. Yeah. Pay attention <laughs> to me. Focus on me. That's adrenaline for you. And, of course, it's time for a heights-related roadblock, the first of two this leg. This one is downwards. 
as teams must. If this looks pretty physical. They have to crawl down a net to grab a clue, then crawl up the net over a, uh, that's uh, hovering above a cascading waterfall. And we get a, an echo from John Montgomery and the deaths of Quebec City. And Paul, Corey, and Ryan do this roadblock. Did this pair of roadblocks not remind you of the Croatia leg of Amazing Race Australia 3? Actually, yeah, I guess it would have been really similar. Where one person had to climb up a fort, and one person had to climb down one. Yeah, you pretty much knew that uh, um, Cat and Jesse were going to be screwed over that leg. I love Cat and Jesse as well. They're awesome. Friend, friends of the show, Cat and Jesse. Yeah, and then of course there's the long lineup at the gondola, which Sam and Paul don't even entertain at first. They just go straight to the they go straight to the dam, and Corey, Ivana, and Kevin and Ryan arrive there roughly at the same time. And this is the most intense thing that Paul has ever done. And he's done before both teams show up, which is a great metaphor for the entire second half of the season. Maybe not so much for the rest of the leg, but it's a good metaphor for the rest of the season. (laughs) And they find out that their next task will be to deliver three people on rickshaws to three different places in the cobblestone streets of Quebec City. And the other teammate will be on a radio that's directing them where to go and trying to pronounce the French street names. Ryan does not do too well at this, despite having a French last name. And while doing the net task, Ryan does a series of uh, monkey noises, and Corey does his trademark grunting. And Corey's arms really burn out during this task. Yeah, that is the most tired I've seen anyone after an Amazing Race Canada task in a while. Probably since Shabir. So hot. <laughs> Let's see. And Corey nearly fell. That would have been hilarious if he just fell into the into the water and just we just never see him again. It's drowning time for Corey. It really, really looks quite dangerous how he came over the barrier. He just flipped himself over like I thought he would join Ivana and having uh, major back injuries. I was quite sort of alarmed when I saw how he flipped over. That's a guy who just wanted to shave off a few seconds. He just didn't care. He didn't there's no ginger ginger way of stepping down onto the mat or onto the ground. He just flung himself over like and that was it. I don't think it was deliberate though. I think he was just that tired that he just wanted off of that net. He didn't care how. <laughs> That's true. It was likely it was a benef- beneficial move, I think, for for this leg. And and when he flops onto the ground, the safety instructors ask him, "Oh, how are you doing?" And he says, "I've seen better days." And then he gets into the cab and he says, "I've never felt this dead in my life," which is kind of what Michael says when he's watching this season. Yeah, I've got a reputation now at work of hate-watching Amazing Race Canada. Every Wednesday, on my lunch break, just going, This season is terrible! <laughs> so, I'm I'm glad to finally get my Wednesday afternoons back. And Paul is cycling as Sam gives directions, and they have some hilarious bickering over the radio. It is a classic style of task to have just the one-way radio in there. It's like, I literally cannot hear you. You can say what you want. <laughs> trying to think of the last task where there was like a one-ray radio and the other person would just get frustrated. 
Well, the uh, 29 finale had the one-way radio in the scoreboard. Oh, yeah, where Scott just says, um, Brooke, that's that's not right. <laughs> and Ivana, not the best cyclist, as she blatantly hits a dumpster at the beginning of the task. <laughs> to be fair to her, those bikes looked quite low spec. I don't think they had more than about five gears on them, if that. So that sort of bike takes a lot of getting used to, especially if you're used to a bike with, like, I think mine's got 21 gears. Oh, I see. So it's certainly on the low spec end of um, of the bikes. And, like, those um, short-term higher bikes that you see in cities like London and Manchester, they have, I think it's one gear, I think they're single speed. So I, I wouldn't have been shocked had the rickshaw ones been single speed as well, because they are very hard to ride. Basically, a single speed a single speed bike, if you're not pedaling, you don't move. Oh, so you really have to work hard at it. Yeah, that's why everyone looked absolutely pooped from pedaling. <laughs> and I love how Ivana taunts Kevin by ringing her bell on the bike as she passes him on the street. And she can literally smell the pizza. That's how close she was to the drop-off location. She doesn't even need Corey's direction. She just needs to follow her sense of smell. And then Ivana just freaking out when she was dropping off each person too. Oh my god! Oh my god! Oh my god! This is the place! Oh my god! This is the passenger! Oh my god! That's the next place! Oh my god! Pizza! Oh my god! Crepes! Crepes! I think she was actually realising that they were doing very well at that task, despite the fact she couldn't ride the bike. And I love that Kevin referred to himself as the yellow. And I'm thinking, oh, this took an uncomfortable turn. Yeah, you're in Quebec now. (laughs) Yeah. I'm the yellow! I'm the yellow giver! Just so everyone knows, we're going to have all the greatest hits of Amazing Race Canada because Logan and I probably aren't going to be podcasting together for about five more months after this. Just waiting for Amazing Race 30. Yeah, unless we find another show to talk about. What about Hunted? Well, Hunted, we're not sure when it's going to be yet. Um, let's see. Or Ivana seeing Paul just sitting on the corner as he's frustrated waiting for Sam's instructions. Just shouting. Sam, Sam, you gotta direct me better, Sam. Babe, babe. He's doing his best Robin Kim impression from The Amazing Race 10. Yeah, I was gonna say, they're the Robin Kim of Amazing Race Canada. Or Caron versus Caron. I spelled it for you five times, Paul. <laughs> Over. I love how Paul, uh, like, even when they're in the bickering, Sam just still says over at the end of each statement while bickering. <laughs> you need to pay attention to me more, Paul. Over. I, I would have loved it if they'd got to the final map and Monty would have turned around and said, Guys, you are team number one, but you got a 15-minute penalty for not saying over at the end of the uh, at the end of your dispatches. I need you to step off the map. Which means Team Giver wins the Amazing Race Canada, just like CTV intended it to. Just like CTV rigged the shit out of this race. <laughs> Sorry, definitely ne- didn't rig the shit out of this race. Um, and then Paul happens to find his final passenger by pure luck, which probably angered their haters on the internet. I don't know how anyone can hate Sam and Paul, given that, you know, they're nice, they're inoffensive... Unlike the Volder Mussolinis, they actually have personality. They're kind of nice. They're not going to be anyone's favourite team of the season, but they're also not going to be anyone's least favourite. Exactly. Very TK and Rachel-esque. I mean, TK and Rachel were in a season of Cray-Cray, so 
they definitely slide down the list a lot for me. But Sam and Paul were a good team in a ropey season with a pretty bad cast. Yeah, then they get they get a few uh, artificial points that way. Yeah. And we get the Giver restaurant in Quebec City. I know what place I'm not going to go to, because it's just all people who scream at the top of their lungs when teams pass by. I mean, I was hoping to not have to tell you how many Givers there were, so that we could play a little guessing game. But including after the race, there were 48 Givers this week. And there's 23 in after the race special, which means there was um, 25 in the finale. So we did cross the 100 mark just in the episodes alone. Well, in the episode alone, there was 16, it was. So it was 99 we ended on. Oh, they didn't crack triple digits. You have to do a recount. I want to know if they did 100. I'm not doing a recount. But yeah, for some reason, I'm the only person on the internet who was counting the givers despite the fact it was going to obviously be a very obnoxious thing. 99. 99 in the regular episodes. And how many were there in After the Race? Uh, 32. So 131 givers for the season. Yeah. Man, that's over 12, or what is that, over 10 per episode? It's about 11 an episode, something like that. It's mid under 11 an episode. Jesus Christ. (laughs) Remember Um, in episode one when I said that Giver would become incredibly annoying. I'm feeling quite smug right now. Wayne Arthurson has already gone on record saying that he is refusing to watch next year if Kevin and Ryan are brought back. That's how over the Giver thing he is. That's how over the Giver thing everyone should be. (laughs) There's zero redeeming features for them for me. And everyone should follow what I say. So they are the poster children for why Amazing Race Canada is bad now. And, of course, I always like to point this out whenever it comes up, because I think Amazing Race Canada's used this sound effect once or twice, but they use the same uh, crowd-cheering sound effect when a couple of teams complete the task, the cycling task, that is. And it's the same sound effect that you can hear in the Nintendo 64's Major League Baseball uh, featuring Ken Griffey Jr., and it's also used in a few movies from the 90s. So it's some sort of, like, stock-cheering sound effect that anybody in media apparently has public access to. It's that sound effect where it's like, oh yeah, oh right, whoa, whoa, whoa. I did like how the roadblock task, or the first roadblock task, was so incredibly public there were people literally filming it with their phones. The final three, I'm guessing, was spoiled very early on in filming, yeah. (laughs) The final three was very, very spoiled, from what I, I had a look at last week. Were the winners also public? No, the winners don't tend to be public because they tend to pick reasonably private golf courses and things to to hide the finish line on. Oh, okay. It doesn't tend to be a public finish line for that exact reason because otherwise people would just wander on it and go, ooh, Sam and Paul won. But uh, everything else was spoiled. Very spoiled. (laughs) And I guess CTV, prior to when the finale aired on the West Coast, they said, oh, look out for a winner's interview with Sam and Paul. Before the final episode even aired. Oh, I love CTV so much. Like two, Apparently it was like two hours before I was reading online. A few people confirmed that this happened. Is CTV run by children? I don't know. It's like they didn't give a damn about this season. Because it's the only logical explanation for how many errors we've had on race play and how many errors we've had generally on the season. Like casting Kevin and Ryan. 
Yeah, like, this is year five. Like, even in year one, they weren't making sloppy mistakes like this. But this season, there was just a cascade of them. Just like the Montmorency Falls. <laughs> um, let's see. So after the cycling task, teams head to this warehouse for the Carnival de Quebec, where they must find one of three creepy bonhams to find their next clue. Yeah, this was so creepy. Yeah, they really tried hard to freak the teams out. Which is kind of funny, because this came out the same week as It. One of the scariest films of all time, I'm assuming, given that I'm never going to watch it. Yeah, I'm not going to watch it either. (laughs) I'm pretty sure I've mentioned my hatred of horror films on this podcast before. I hate horror films with a passion. I have no idea why anyone would ever want to watch scary films. Is this something we finally agree on, Michael? Because I have yet to watch a scary movie either. Yeah, I don't do scary films. Hmm. Um, So yeah, that's a fun little factoid for all of our listeners out there. We actually agree on something. Yay, Amazing Race Canada's brought us together. (laughs) Simon and Paul finish the task in first. The cycling task, that is. Kevin and Ryan are second. Ivana keeps screaming after finishing each delivery and finishes in last, even though she was initially killing the task, so I don't know how that happened. All three teams look like they're somewhat close together. The bottom task appears to be over very quickly as none of the teams overlap with one another. And the clue is uh, directs them to a chocolate factory, which is another quick task where teams exchange their clue at the chocolate factory for a giant egg of chocolate that they have to smash open to find a hidden immunity idol inside. Oh no, it's just their next clue. And Paul eats the chocolate. He's the only one that eats the chocolate. Why would you not eat the chocolate? It's free food on The Amazing Race, something that you never get. Something tells me that sugar from the chocolate will add to the jitteriness of the adrenaline that's coursing through their veins. Yeah, but it was like a six-foot chocolate egg. It looks awesome. (laughs) I'd be tempted to eat it, too. It's like, oh, quick snack. So much for the $850 that I was supposed to spend. I would be all over that. The chocolate might melt, though. And then you have sticky hands, and sticky hands aren't good for holding onto rope. Depends how quickly you eat it. Yeah. Just shoves his face in there. We gotta eat the whole egg, Sam. No, it's Sam and Paul, not Kevin and Ryan. We just gotta give her and eat this this giant life-size chocolate egg. Because if we don't eat this chocolate, then, you know, you're just not living in the moment. You're not living in the now. That chocolate's gonna melt, and it's gonna be nothing. And just like how people who don't give her have nothing. And we can't shove our faces in there, Liz. I know my Kevin and Ryan impression is similar to Mike of Mike and Liz, but it's it's not the oh. I feel like you can tell the difference between the two. Yeah, I I just I like how they sort of cross over into each other occasionally. It's like the anti Ghostbusters. You don't want to cross the streams. You don't want to cross your impressions. <laughs> but they just slightly veer into each other. The chocolate egg is now magic, Liz. It always faces north. Peter Contail lives north, Liz. And Kevin and Ryan are so freaked out by the live bonum that they are scared by the bazebas of January. What the hell is that? That does sound like an enemy in a He-Man comic. <laughs> by the bejesus of, uh, of January. <laughs> yes. The power of bazebas compels you. And once teams smash their chocolate egg which I'm going to leave in as a deliberate euphemism. Uh, it's a second roadblock. 
which is who's about to wish they did the first roadblock. <laughs> and in this roadblock, one team member must climb up the tallest building in Quebec City and search the skyline for a flag where they can find their next clue. And this task ends up being the most important one of the finale, as Sam and Kevin do this roadblock. They're fairly close together. Fairly close together. Kevin and Ryan say that the French love chocolate first, and then Corey molests the live Bonham, where he just keeps grabbing at him, trying to think there's a clue on him, which uh, highly amused me. And then Kevin has a Spider-Man moment, and they start searching and searching and searching, and they both think they have the flag. We know Sam definitely found the flag, and we assume that Kevin did too. And then we have that amusing uh, elevator music as both teams ride down, which definitely wasn't a copy of a comedic scene from Amazing Race 29, coincidentally enough involving Mike and Liz. Kevin even goes initially in the wrong direction to leave the building, has to backtrack and follow Sam, and, uh, follow Sam out of the building. They head towards what they think is the flag, and Kevin screws it up as it's just a flag for one of the main uh, government buildings in Quebec City. You know Kevin's Spider-Man moment. Does this mean that he's going to be replaced by someone much younger in a couple of years' time? Uh, much younger and much more charismatic? Yes. Yeah, because Tobey Maguire just sucks. Well, Tobey Maguire was alright, Andrew Garfield was great, and uh, Tom Holland I've only seen in Civil War so far, and he was really good in Civil War. I'm waiting for Homecoming to come on DVD before I watch it. I see. More movie chat with us. Yeah. It's like it's more interesting than talking about Amazing Race Canada. Literally anything is more interesting than talking about Amazing Race Canada. Uh, okay, so... Talking to talking about Amazing Race Canada? Kevin going to the wrong place is pretty much a game over. No, let me do the Raul Julia M. Bison impression from Street Fighter. Because this is, this is where we get to serenade uh, Kevin and Ryan's exit. Ha ha ha. Game over! Also, it wasn't a government building, it was the flag of the university, they said in the episode. Oh yeah, I didn't care enough to listen. Whereas I did, because I was on Giver Watch to see if they'd got over 100. Giver University? Is it like Trump University? Well, the degrees are worth about as much as Trump University. <laughs> 131 degrees of Giver! Which is not a sex position, surprisingly. It does sound like a film with some description, though, doesn't it? Yes. Under 31 degrees of giver. Move over, Kevin Bacon. In a world where shitheads have a catchphrase. <laughs> and it's not even an original catchphrase. It's a catchphrase from an equally shitty <laughs> independent film. From a crappy 90s Canadian film. We bring you the unofficial spin-off to FUBAR. It is 131 degrees of giver. 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 You liked 137 hours. Now, 131 degrees of giver. <laughs> Liz. What are you gonna do about it, cinema goer? <laughs> are you gonna turn around and do what? Refund your tickets? All the greatest hits. <laughs> yes. Um, let's see. So, uh, Ivana eventually does the roadblock. No word about her back uh, during this task. And she starts searching the rooftop itself before she clues in that she's got to look at the other buildings. 
but she doesn't waste too much time as she finds the correct flag and not the university flag. And Simon and Paul, of course, are really far ahead once they get to the puzzle. And other t- all the other the other two teams also make it to the puzzle, but clearly Simon and Paul have a time advantage. Simon and Paul and Kevin and Ryan both submit a guess. Kevin and Ryan are barely off. They were this close to being Simon and Paul at the puzzle task. They would have made up a lot of time having to go from the university building when they were already in second place to backtracking back to the tower, climb up the tower again, then search the flag, then run down all those steps, and then ride out to the ride out to the real building. Can you imagine how obnoxious they would have been had they got out of there first? Oh, it would have been the worst five minutes of my life. And Logan's met me. <laughs> and... I mean, I guess I could go over the final challenge. It's You pretty much predicted this, Michael. I think you said that you expected it to be based off of the Canada 150. Well, it was blatantly obvious it was going to be based on the Canada 150 challenges, given that, you know, they love a Canada 150 challenge, despite how terrible they've basically all been. And this task is truly a very Amazing Race Family Edition-esque finale task, where teams just have to put together a puzzle of Canada... And then throw down six tokens of where they did the Canada 150 tasks, which is also the bonus task from Family Edition, where after the Linz family won by putting the puzzle together, the Branson family and the Weaver family had a face-off to see who would get the second place prize, I think it was from uh, BP Gas or something like that. And they had to throw the tokens of where they did certain roadblocks all throughout the race. And they had, and Weaver family had no clue on where to put the tokens. I love a competitive jigsaw. It is fantastic television. <laughs> and maybe I'm being slightly sarcastic there. But it wasn't, it's not, I mean, it wasn't good for TV, but at least you knew that they had some sort of challenge to do for the final task. Because we've seen some pretty easy ones in previous years of the American version. And recently on, on Amazing Race uh, Canada itself, I'm thinking more of, oh, I don't know, skiing. <laughs> yes. Match your skis. And you win. Man, that Canada 3 finale was a letdown. Man, Canada 3 was a letdown. <laughs> and then Sam describes it as the least relaxing puzzle ever. We get the whole board versus floor strategy, where it was apparently much smarter if you just put it together on the board, which is what Kevin and Ryan did. And then Corinne Ivana didn't know where Whitehorse is. To be fair to them, they hadn't been there. That's true. They probably don't leave Toronto all that often. And also, did you see the placements of the Canada 150 challenges? It was literally all of the border between Canada and the US. Yeah, well, 90% of the population lives along the border. Yeah, but it's ridiculous. And then, of course, we get the Parc des Ancestres as the finish line. And Sam and Paul looks like they're going to get lost. And we may see my... Uh, Dream of wanting a team to screw up on the way from the final task to the finish line to the point that they drop down the second is going to come to fruition and at the worst possible situation for me, as it looks like Kevin and Ryan may overtake a team to cross the finish line in first. But luckily, Sam and Paul recover and have more than enough time to claim first place. And after a brief hiatus in Season 4, the two all-male teams make it to top two of this season. Yay. And then Corey and Ivana are in third. 
Of course, another statistic is that this is the second season in a row where a same-sex uh, romantic couple um, wins the season. And it's the third season in a row where the team that won five or more legs wins the season as well. So a lot of patterns going on here, especially when, if you exclude season four, I think nine out of the 12 finalists have been all-male teams. I say I exclude season four because season four was very, very deliberate in making sure an all-female team won that season. Yeah, and with their victory, Sam and Paul equal Stephen Kristen's record in terms of average. They get the Amazing Race Canada win record at six. No, um... Well, no, actually, Nat Meg won more, didn't they? Natalie and Megan got seven. The consecutive record that they get, isn't it? It's a cons- They tied the worldwide consecutive record with uh, uh, Valerie and Bodana from Amazing Race Ukraine. Did Justin Diana get five in a row or just four in a row? Yeah, Justin and Diana got five. Oh, okay. So they tied the international record with Justin, Diana, and Valerie and Bodana. Um, I don't think Mark and Real Wilson got five either. I, th- I have a feeling they've... They probably think they got four in a row at the most at one point. Them and Allie and Meg and a few other teams have gotten the four in a row. But very few hit five. And let's see, there's really not much that happens at the end there, at the finish line, in terms of final words. Um, there's a few slightly dirty quotes from the puzzle, but for the first time in five seasons, we're not getting a face cream globe at the end of this episode, I'm afraid. There isn't enough material for me to put the face cream clip together. What was the dirty quotes in the puzzle? Uh, well, we had Sam saying, we have to get it up. <laughs> um, and when Sam and Paul officially win, Monty does say, here you go, Canada, this is something to be proud of. Yeah, to which the correct response is, Sam and Paul winning is something to be proud of, this season definitely isn't. <laughs> and then we get the after the race special. Well, Kevin and Ryan also say that, the, that even though they came in second place, they're the real winners. It's like, you literally have just been told you did not win. <laughs> they are anything but the they are the fake winners. <laughs> yeah, that's the opposite of what our Lord and Saviour Monty has said to you. You are wrong. You are not the winners at all. This is not the prizes you're looking for. And if you want to see the real winners, just look to your right at Simon Paul. And now we get to the after the race special, which <laughs> And we get the harpies from the social, and because they can't be critical due to having the special on CTV, they've they've got a tough hour ahead of them. I'm taking back everything I said about Amazing Race Canada 4's after the race special being great, because that was obviously a fluke. Because this was almost an art form as to how terrible this reunion special was. Do you think Duffy would have done worse or better than this? I think it would have been about the same level. This was a truly dreadful after the race. Yeah, like, nothing we learn... Well, I'm going to say this, though. The Kevin and Ryan we saw in the after the race special was the real Kevin and Ryan. There was no yelling, no mugging, no screaming. This is the Kevin and Ryan I would have wanted to see all season long and I would have been able to put up with. But man, the Kevin and Ryan that we see in 11 episodes... It's just a team I never, ever, ever want to see on my screen again. Why couldn't we get after the race special, Kevin and Ryan? Well, firstly, the fact that Ebony couldn't even be bothered turning up. That was funny. Yeah, because, what was it, only 
was it Dana or Amanda? But they only missed the mid-season reunion uh, for Amazing Race Canada 3. They still showed up at the end. And I think one of Kelly and Kate didn't show up last year for the reunion. But they were out a bit earlier in the season. Andrea and Ebony still made it over halfway. And Ebony didn't even show up. Well, that was the first thing that was just hilarious. We don't, we're not even given a reason as to why Ebony couldn't show up. Like, Kelly, I think Kelly or Kate's, they gave a clear reason, saying that she already had a prior engagement or something like that. Whereas it was just literally that Ebony couldn't be bothered. Yeah, and then this one was just like, yeah, Ebony couldn't make it. <laughs> it's like, oh, why though? <laughs> and then we had what I'm lovingly describing as sledgehammer segues. Where one of the shrill halfies would just say, and talking of family, let's talk to Aaron and Deb. <laughs> they were obviously told they had to speak to every team, but they did it in such an unsubtle way that it was cackle-worthy every time it happened, and it probably happened about 15, 20 times in an hour. <laughs> yeah, they were very obvious in their transitions. And then on top of that, they've been asking for after-the-race questions for... About three or four weeks now, and they didn't use a single one. They instead used tweets that had previously been tweeted to Amazing Race Canada. Some of them I had in my Funniest Complaints blog. I know. I've, I recognized, I think two of those specific tweets were in the Complaints blog. Definitely uh, Sebastian Yap's uh, Zed does an amazing, uh, does an amazing uh, Monty impression, and the other being the whole... Um, Andrew and Ebony should have been eliminated for taking the penalty at the first task. The fact that, just like this season, they couldn't find enough material to fill an hour-long episode is hilarious to me. And is it just me, or did Bert not look too comfortable on camera while being interviewed for this live special? I think he was probably still having PTSD from the cockroaches. Because he knew that clip was coming. Yeah. And then we get a lot of on one end of the spectrum, I would say the team that got the most airtime by far was Kevin and Ryan, where they just let them talk. Like, each of them got to give individual explanations for the term giver. Yeah, and another thing is that the hosts seem to think that Amazing Race Canada is a title that gets passed over between winners. There's no relay. <laughs> yeah, because when they were talking to uh, to Steph and Kristen, one of them was talking about how it's time to pass over the title of Amazing Race Canada. It's like, the title is either Winners of the Amazing Race Canada or Passing Over the the Winning of Amazing Race Canada. Amazing Race Canada is not the title. <laughs> it's not like some imaginary crown you just hand over to somebody else. Everybody gets to keep the belt that wins it. And um, more than once, one of the Shrill Harpies did describe the Morse code task as a roadblock, rather than the active route info that it actually was. Oh, that's casual fandom at its worst. Um, when they were given the description of what giver means, Kevin did say that it means to give so much of ourselves, which, from the rumours we've been spreading, is probably not that far from the truth. <laughs> Semen. And one of the uh, ad break transitions does still feature my favourite bit of the entire season, Horses Arseholes. They reshowed that a lot. Yes, they did. Oh, and this is, I don't know why this amused me so much, but whenever Ryan was talking, you could always see Rhea's head in the background nodding vigorously. Just agreeing with everything Ryan was saying, no matter what it was. Like, Ryan could have been talking about genocide or, I don't know, world hunger, and she still would have been nodding behind him. Did you see how excited she looked when they actually checked into the finish line? 
she was whooping and hollering for them. Really? I didn't notice that. It was really, really obvious. <laughs> and in another bit that I absolutely adored, when the Shrill Harfies wanted to speak to Dan and Rhea, the camera instead cut to Aaron and Deb. Oh yeah, <laughs> I remember where Aaron just gave this really confused look on his face. Or they did that another time too, where they were going to uh, Adam and Andrea for a question. They re-showed Eb, uh, Andrea just to see if she would roll her eyes because of the whole U-turn thing. Just hoping that there would be some sort of drama with this cast, but this is not the cast with any drama whatsoever. So nothing got started up at the finale, especially when they were quizzing Andrea on the whole U-turn thing too. And she said, no, we got over it about two seconds after that leg was over. And they're like, really? Really? Yeah, yeah, we're all friends now. Okay. It was just so awful. (laughs) It was a truly terrible after the race special. And then Dan and Rhea were definitely the most ignored team out of the ten, which I found hilarious. They were allowed the shortest answers, and the Harpies even cut them off. (laughs) Yeah, and in one positive, Aaron and Deb did look fly. Yeah, they definitely brought the suits to their full potential. And uh, the ending of the after the race was, of course, the Shrill Harpies giving Sam and Paul one of their prizes. But uh, it was introduced with, not only do you get 250 grand and a trip around the world, but you also get a car. It's like, (laughs) the car's probably the least impressive bit of that entire prize package. They're probably going to sell those cars. Yeah, hate to break it to you, but Sam's in med school. They both live in Toronto anyway. They're not going to need a car. No, they're selling off those cars, and and both of us have been to Toronto before, and we both know full well that you that only really really wealthy people are going to be driving around cars in the city, and every, everyone takes public transit there. Especially as the the public transport system is very good in Toronto. Yeah. That subway system gets you pretty much anywhere in the city. Even outside of the city, you'll still get to like the Richmond Hill area and the surrounding places. So yeah, after the race was an absolute mess. And I kind of love it. it. I enjoyed it far more than I've enjoyed a lot of this season because of how silly it was. Let's see. I'm trying to see if there's anything... Oh, Adam sounded like he had a sore throat during the special. Yeah, he really did, because I actually tweeted him about that, saying, you sound really hoarse on this After the Race special. Did he answer back? He did not, although I did get a, uh, a tweet off him about something different. And Shabir... Shabir was actually probably the funniest guy at this whole thing. Yeah, I love Shabir. Where he just said, uh, wanted to sign up for something to do with my son, but I was thinking more of a hike. And I have completely forgot about the whole pharmacy task where he puts on the glove and says, Okay, bend over. <laughs> See, I know we're going to be getting into this really soon, but that's quite indicative of this season. Zed and Shabir were probably, well, were one of the top tier teams in this cast, and we didn't see enough of them. I'm surprised that the, that the Harpies did pick out that tweet that uh, insulted Andrea and Ebony for taking the penalty, just because it was such a... It, it shows you how few moments there were in this season where a mid-boot that wasn't, re- wasn't really one of the main characters for the season ends up being asked about something that happens in the first 10 minutes of the season that was inconsequential by the end of the episode. But also, it was the only penalty taken this season. 
Yeah, like the tasks were real. That's the one thing that Masonry's Canada had going for the the past couple of years where it started to go backwards, where it was like, okay, they're not leaving uh, Canada as much as we like them to, but at least the tasks are very difficult and it pushes everyone to their limits. This season, we just had that one penalty that one team took, basically just out of nerves uh, um, in the first 15 minutes, and then not a single penalty was taken for the rest of the race. Which, spoilers for the blog that I'm currently writing about why Amazing Race Canada needs cancelling, is quite indicative of a lot of our complaints about this season. The fact that, yeah, you don't want teams to take penalties, but no one struggled enough to even contemplate taking a penalty. If the tasks are too easy, then it's not going to be entertaining to watch because you're just going to see competent people going through lackluster tasks, and that's not entertaining. No, like, the only praise I've really seen from people online about this season, because it's like, okay, why why are the casual fans liking this season? And the only reason I've really seen when people are pushed to name a reason is because all the teams are nice. Really, no one has said anything else about the season. They just say, oh, the teams were nice, and then a couple of them say, like, oh, the tasks were difficult, but we know full well that wasn't true. So, yeah, people... The casual, the elderly casual fans were just happy with nice teams. And that was it. And nice doesn't make good telly. Not when everyone's nice. You can have the couple of teams or so that are just nice, but you need teams that are a bit more dynamic. And um, I was talking about this with Ben Powell yesterday because he's only seen the first episode. And he's going to, I think he's going to watch the rest of the season fairly soon. And he said that, I guess, online on, like, uh, Survivor Sucks and Reddit when other people were describing the season to him, that it was just, out of all the seasons that have aired, I guess, in the world, even the non-English versions, this season is the has, probably holds the record for the least amount of inter-team drama or interaction uh, between the ten teams, which probably explains why you did have a storyline where it's Sam and Paul versus Kevin and Ryan from episode two that goes all the way to the very end of the season. Usually that those rivalry storylines that happen at the finish line don't really start developing until about halfway into the season or later. Yeah, it was just very middle of the road. Yeah, it was just that storyline. Then you think, like they were talking about the Triple Express Pass 2 where... That's something that happened really early on in the season, and it was all over and done with in the span of, well, if you can, if you go from one episode to the other, it just barely lasted a little, maybe an episode and a quarter, and you were done with the uh, Triple Express Pass stuff, and then you have the Andrean Ebony uh, penalty thing, which happened in the premiere, and that was resolved within that episode, and then you have Andrean Ebony getting upset about Adam and Andrea not protecting them from the non-elimination, where you have Andrew and Ebony next episode saying, oh, we're going to get revenge on all these fake people, but they're just gone 20 minutes later from the race anyway. So nothing. there was no storylines that carried over more than an episode other than Sam and Paul versus Kevin and Ryan for that lasted for 10 legs. <laughs> I'm going to be perfectly honest. I completely forgot the Triple X Pass even happened, it was that much of a non-entity. 
And they, they talk about that for a while in the after the race thing. So they have a whole back and forth between Megan and Courtney and Kevin and Ryan. And then in probably my favorite part about the whole after the race special, they didn't even show a clip from the episode. They showed a clip from their own interview on their own show several weeks earlier that they did with Megan and Courtney. For all my hatred of the Triple Express Pass twist when it happened... I completely forgot that it ever actually happened because of how little it actually factored into the season. Despite the fact it actually, for one, saved a team. And that was really the last event of the season because everything else goes down in a fairly predictable fashion. Like, I did think that Sam and Paul were going to choke in the finale because of how under-edited they were, but they really had that little content to show that they were so invisible in the premiere that they just kind of coasted their way to uh, victory because producers had nothing else to work with this season. Blandly competent is the term you're looking for. Yeah. For a team that tied the all-time record for most legs one in a row, that was a really, really small edit to be given. Because Sam got into med school, you get a little bit of their uh, couple bickering every once in a while, and then occasionally trashing... Kevin and Ryan a little bit in the confessionals, and that was it. That was it for Sam and Paul this season. So it's like, I'm glad Sam and Paul beat Kevin and Ryan, and uh, Sam and Paul are definitely one of the better Masonry Scandal winners that we've had. But that's not saying much, given that Masonry Scandal's reputation is that we don't exactly get the best uh, winners out of whoever's left in the final three. We never really get that best-case scenario. No, Amazing Race Canada is not known for its good winners, because if it was, Jet and Dave would have won, Suki and Jinder would have won, Nick and Sabrina would have won, Brian and Cynthia would have won. Literally anyone in Amazing Race Canada 3, apart from Gino and Jesse and Dana and Amanda, would have won. Jillian and Emmett would have won. We don't get the team that we deserve to have win, or that we need to have win, we get the team that deserves it. Ugh. I'm having convulsions just for implying that Gino and Jesse deserve to win because they didn't. Yeah, so let's let's get to that first question. Um, are Kevin and Ryan as bad as Gino and Jesse? See, I was going to ask you that question. Um, I feel like recency bias is still pretty heavy at the moment. Yeah. Because I think, I can't believe I'm saying this, but a rewatch in a couple of years from now might be in the books to make the final determination on this. I would say that Kevin and Ryan existing means we're probably not going to get Gino and Jesse on Canadian All-Stars, which, let's be honest, will be next year. Which is a good thing. But, what I need is for every other team on that season to gang up on them. If I could see, for example, as I've just seen suggested on Survivor Sucks, Jillian, you turning them out while screaming at them, that would be fab. That would be wonderful television. Just the way that Kevin and Ryan get completely humiliated out of the race next next year. I would say that Gino and Jesse are still worse because they won, and because of the effect because of the effect that they then had on the franchise, which overlaps with Cam's question of how does this how does Kevin and Ryan not winning in the finale impact the impact the reputation of the season? And I agree with you there that I think Kevin and Ryan may have gone down wor- even worse as Gino and Jesse because at least with Gino and Jesse they did win five legs. I mean, they're still the worst team I've ever seen in in international history, let's be honest. 
But if Kevin and Ryan won, it would have been their only leg win since the very first leg, which would have made it that much more painful. And we would have had so many more givers and so many, so much more attention in the after the race special. So to see Kevin commit that blunder in the roadblock was a little bit of a haha moment. Too bad it didn't happen eight rounds earlier or nine rounds earlier. But at least I would say for now, Kevin and Ryan are just one tiny, tiny, tiny notch better than Gino and Jesse. Yeah, Gino and Jesse are still my least favorite team ever. But Kevin and Ryan have the potential, when they come back for All-Stars, let's be honest, to ruin it and make themselves even worse. I agree. If if, yeah, if there is an All-Star version and Kevin and Ryan are brought back for it, which I think production seems to be setting them up for a return trip. Gino and Jesse, surprisingly, haven't been mentioned at all in any of the extra clips uh, this year. That's because, as I suspect, Kevin and Ryan are replacing them. I think the spot that they had locked up from being casual fan favourites has probably now transferred over to Kevin and Ryan. Man. <laughs> Which is hilarious. And I know you saw Mark's question on Twitter. Oh, oh, right. We have to say five good things about the season, and one of them cannot be that it's over. Yeah, Mark Doyle, who knows us far too well, given that we went to a pub quiz together in Dublin, the three of us, wants us to list five positives about the season. So strapping, guys. <laughs> um, okay, I'll go first. I'll throw one out there. I haven't really written anything down because I had a tough time coming up with five. But I'll say number one is that thank God Corey and Ivana made it to the end of the season. And I'll throw in thank God Kevin and Ryan didn't win. <laughs> That's two right there. Um, but yeah, I felt that Corey and Ivana, for both the last three or four rounds in a row... There was always that moment that made me laugh out loud. And I'll throw out another one, which is team-themed. Thank God Adam and Andrea have the second best average of the season. That still got preserved, eh? It did, because Kevin and Ryan didn't win the finale. That's good. Let's let's shift it. Let's try to f- come up with two things that aren't team-related. James Duthie didn't appear. Or per- let's, let's get away from individual-related. Let's see if we can come up with two that aren't about... Anti this or pro that. Um, um. <laughs> Silence is golden. Well, can we get we well, let's just we didn't even plan this. The bug task. Yeah, I enjoyed the bug task because that was what that was probably the toughest task of the season, and it was hilarious to watch play out. And Panama exceeded my expectations as well because I thought Panama was going to be a rubbish leg, and actually it was all right. Yeah, the Panama leg was probably the only above-average leg of the season. The finale was right around average. Bangkok was right around average. Beijing was sadly slightly below average. And yeah, so there we, we got we got five things. We got the bunk task. We got the Panama leg. Corin Ivana, Kevin and Ryan not winning. And what was their fifth one? Adam and Andrea uh, being the second-best team of the season. So there you go. There we go. We came up with... I can't believe that was a struggle. <laughs> I can. <laughs> I've covered this season for 11 weeks. So yeah, that's uh, that's five good things. Um, and of course, the question that everybody wants to ask is, do we think All-Stars is coming next year? Because it's the final season of the contract, but there's still a really small pool of teams to choose from. 
Or are we getting an all-star season, anyway? There was literally a race play question this week saying, who do you want back? That was one of the bigger hints dropped for sure. And then you have Stefan Kristen's backseat drivers with notable teams from seasons past. Like there was Brent and Sean made a cameo one week. Frankie and Amy were in there another week. Holly and Brett. Holly and Brett. Hal and Joanne. That's like, that's what I, that's the thing that's going to bug me about All-Stars is since about season three, I think my exact words were the only way an All-Stars is going to work is if you have both Hal and Joanne and Holly and Brett back. And Wayne was telling me when we met up a month ago that Holly and Brett have been out of the Amazing Race community for about three or four years now, pretty much since their season aired. So I guess, or shortly after their season aired, so three years. So they've been out of the community for about three years. I think they've started raising a family now. And then just two weeks after Wayne told me that, they make a backseat driver appearance with uh, Steph and Kristen. And then, so if it's true, I, I really don't want to watch it, but if, if Frankie and Amy, Helen Joanne and Brett and Holly, if they suck, because that's the thing too, is that with the all-star season, I'm just assuming it's not going to work out because we're not going to get all the stars we want. And knowing Amazing Race Canada, there isn't really that many stars to choose from. But yet, it seems like if Backseat Drivers is any indication, we might get the right group of people for it. The stars may align for production to have a barely passable All-Stars cast. Suki and Jinder haven't made an appearance, so now we won't have the people we deserve. Oh, right. That's a big miss. I'm sure if we like looked at, if we broke it down on paper, we realized how many great teams they're missing. But so far, because there was, what, nine... Uh, backseat driver episodes. I think only a few of them had guests on it, though. Not every week. There was no Jet and Dave either, who are the one male-male team that anyone can actually stomach. And then Rex and Bob made an appearance on this, which was hilarious. I think, yeah, Rex and Bob were in a week of backseat drivers. No Natalie and Megan, surprisingly. There was no... No one else really... There was no one really from... uh, No one else from season two except Rex and Bob, I think. I mean, we could spend ages casting a perfect Amazing Race Canada All-Stars, but let's be honest, there's going to be Amazing Race Canada All-Stars. It's going to disappoint the hell out of us. Yeah, watch, like, Frankie, Amy, Holly and Brett and Hallow and Joanne be the first three teams out. And that's, I mean, if it's just three out of ten choices that are good, that's not going to be enough. Like, that's the choices you absolutely need to have, but then you also need to have teams that surround them that make you want to tune in. You can't just, it's not, it can't be like, look at Survivor Game Changers. You had Sandra, you had Tony, you had JT, and uh, who were the couple of the other early early boots? Sierra? Not Sierra, like anyone, Sierra and Caleb. Anyone after, anyone around that, yeah, so, so basically just Sandra and Tony. Yeah, you, you have to remember the very important fact that I've still not watched Game Changers from after JT going. <laughs> I obviously know what happened but I refuse to watch any episode that Sandra goes in, so I'm not finishing the season. And yeah, that's what I mean. Like, after Sandra goes home in Game Changers, the season completely flops. And that's when you know that you didn't cast enough stars, because all they did with Game Changers was say, okay, we have Sari, we have Ozzy, we have Sandra, we have Tony, we have JT, we have Michaela, and then we're going to bring a bunch of other people in it and see how this all plays out. But let me be abundantly clear, if it happens, and if they don't travel internationally, 
And if the cast is terrible, I'm not just not covering it. I'm not watching it. I couldn't. I've, I'm going to be with uh, Wayne Arthurson on this one, where if Kevin and Ryan are brought back, I'm not watching it. We're not just not covering Amazing Race Canada. And bear in mind, we've never dropped an Amazing Race franchise from Reality TV Warriors. This is our 13th season of Amazing Race coverage, and this is the first time ever that we have said, point blank, we're not covering the next season. Regardless of what happens now, we're not covering the next season, or I'm not. There would have to be a hell of a change against what our expectations will be for next year for that to change. I am so disappointed in what Amazing Race Canada has done in terms of squandering all of the goodwill that they've earned from season two onwards that I'm just not going to be podcasting about it next season. I want my summer back. I kind of wish we hadn't podcasted about it this season. (laughs) But this was like a fitting ending to it all, though. It's like we ended it so wonderfully last last season and now we've just ripped off the plaster again and gone... I want another infection. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, we pretty much answered the All-Stars question as much as we uh, could, where it it shouldn't happen because the pool isn't big enough. But even like in the past 24 hours, the rumors have been fueling more and more, and now there's even word that teams were approached to do All-Stars last for Season 5 was going to be All-Stars which is crazy to think how they could even do that with that much smaller of a pool. And there's only really one question left to answer, which is, why was this season so bad? I think we've covered it overall, but I'm going to give a really quick rundown as to why this season didn't work at all. A, this cast overall just did not mesh together. We saw very little interaction between the teams. B, we had almost no drama. As I said before, the, any drama we had was resolved very, very quickly. C, we only had one multi-episode storyline, which was the Sam and Paul versus Kevin and Ryan rivalry, and that went on the entire season and was a very minor presence overall. D, it was a very predictable uh, result given what what, our, what everyone's preseason predictions were, which was Sam and Paul and Kevin and Ryan are making it to the top three, and Corey and Ivana are going to be right there, and Adam and Andrea. Like, this, the top five for the season, I think Karen and Birch were really the only upset. And just the tasks were such a huge step down. That was always amazing race Canada's, other than their casting from the previous seasons for the most part. Their other saving grace was always that the tasks would just get ridiculous in difficulty. So if you don't have that entertaining cash, uh, cast that meshes well, and you don't have difficult tasks, then you don't have much with, for Amazing Race Canada. And for a series that says, oh, we're very rarely going to leave Canada, we want to explore the whole country. Well, this season we had another eight domestic legs, and five of them had a full-length leg that overlapped with the previous full-length leg. We only had three new full legs, which was um, Fort McMurray, the Kootenays, which both happened in the first three episodes, and then uh, Western Newfoundland. Everything else overlapped, and then you can get a point. You get a you get a point five credit for the Regina legs. They went to Dog River Hotel and Moose Jaw, but they still did a couple of tasks in Regina, which was used for all of a leg in season one. So you get 
you get three, I guess three and a half, three and a half uh, uh, new locations uh, for Canada out of the eight domestic legs. That's still less than 50%. The only surprise of the entire season for me was the fact they went to Thailand because no one knew about it. Literally everything else was so predictable. And then, of course, there's always that sour taste that CTV just blatantly spoiled chunks of their own season, whether it be before the season started airing on TV or two hours before the finale aired. Yeah, they just are so lackluster with this season. I think it's just, yeah, that's the thing, too. It's Not only was it a lackluster season and really, really flat season, but it's like production didn't really care or get invested in it. And the race play thing was just a terrible idea to do. I mean, it was hilarious because it backfired on them quite a bit. But that race play thing to show on screen was so damn distracting. I am so disappointed in this season more than anything. Because I have championed this franchise as being fantastic. Monty is a highlight regardless. Monty's awesome. But they have squandered every little bit of goodwill from me. So much so that I'm just done with talking about Amazing Race Canada. And that's in three years. If you bear in mind that Suki and Jinder are still my favourite team ever, and they are from Amazing Race Canada, and we've got to the point that after five seasons, I'm done with even talking about this this franchise. That's how bad this has been. Would you say this was worse than Amazing Race 24? Because I think Amazing Race 24 is your least favourite season ever. I'd say it's more disappointing than Amazing Race 24, because we knew Amazing Race 24 was probably going to be bad, looking at the cast and looking at the country list. But Amazing Race Canada has had such potential uh, that they have just squandered it, and this is a far more disappointing season to me than Amazing Race 24. Like, our expectations were low going into the season, but we still, I, I, for me anyways... Like, this is how I convinced you to do it, to podcasts about the season, is that I still had this optimism that maybe the teams will surprise us, we're going to see some tough tasks, but neither of those things panned out. No. I came into this season not really wanting to do it, and did it basically as a favour for Logan, and even Logan's like, no, this season was crap. At least if... It would definitively be worse than a Masonry's 24 for me if we had as bad of winners as Dave and Connor. Like, if we had uh, Kevin and Ryan winning, then it'd be like, yeah, yeah, it's worse than a Masonry's 24, of course. Had Kevin and Ryan won, we would be talking about this as the worst season ever. As it stands, Sam and Paul obviously lift it by a point or two. So, it's still bottom five, but it's not bottom one. I don't know if I would even put it at bottom five i think i think for me is that it's got to be i'd probably put this a second to last to mason race 24 i'm thinking about mason race canada one and i said it's not a real season but contrasting the season with the mason race canada one i've appreciated mason race canada one more now in terms of how they tied in the locations and the tasks they had and some of the drama that they had and then i'm thinking did i enjoy the season even less than I did with Amazing Race 14 uh, in the American version. And I think Amazing Race 14 US still had a couple of decent moments in a season that I absolutely hated at the time that it, that it aired. And the fact that Amazing Race 14 didn't make me stop watching the American version for a while after that. But with this season, you had a 
couple of funny moments with Corey and Ivana and Megan and Courtney and Zed and Shabir and Karen and Bert. So it's definitely bottom three. I would say it's probably tied right around with the Mason Race 14. Because at least the final three of the season was slightly better than their final three. I would say that this is obviously the worst season that we've talked about on the podcast since 24. There's yes. no question about that. But mm-hmm. I think also this is a lot more disappointing because of what has come before it. Because the last few seasons we've talked about were Canada 4, which had a fantastic cast even if the rest of the season wasn't great. We had Amazing Race Asia 5, which obviously we love, they love us. It was a fantastic season despite the, the early hiccups. And we had so much fun covering. And to the point that, you know, I'm meeting up with one of the races next year. Then we went into 29, which I would probably put in my top five seasons ever. Because it was so much fun to cover. And where I literally met the winners. Mm -hmm. And you went to the finale party. So the fact that those three seasons have come before it in terms of our coverage makes this even worse. That's that's the thing, too, is that it's such a huge contrast to what's come before it. But yeah, I, I'll have to give it some time, but right now I'd say Masonry's 24 is still rock bottom, but this season's definitely in a tie for second to last with the Masonry's 14. And also, you cannot underestimate 131 instances of Giver. Like, they were shoved down our throats. That's what a Masonry's 14 didn't have. That may be enough to push it to second to last like we just watched this i watched this episode last night so it's still 24 hours since then and i might be overestimating how much sam and paul winning kept this away from the worst outcome possible and then you gotta think that amazing race 14 did have much better tasks than what and a route much better route than uh than uh this season it was so shoved down our throat with the giver thing, and that that's what annoyed me. Because I knew they'd be irritating. I didn't think they'd be 131 giver irritating. And just as a little test, I've gone back to the After the Race special where they had about 25 givers in a minute, and I've taken, I think it's 11 givers in this bit, just, just so you know what 131 givers would sound like. So this is less than 10% of the givers that is in the season. Our life revolves around the word giver. Time to give her! Give her, give her, give her! Give her, give her, give her! Give her, give her, give her! Oh, yeah. That is eight and a half seconds. <laughs> and that's 11 givers. Man. That's what it sounds like. I was thinking of doing a match of 131, and I thought that would get really irritating. And then, of course, we, this season, out of all the other ones, really went over the top with the Canadian patriotism. Which has always been a slight knockback for the for other four seasons, but this season is when, especially in the first half, it was really over the top. I like that they backed down as the season progressed, but there were still hints of, come on guys, we're past it by this point. But also the Canada 150 SAS blindsided us, because we didn't know anything about that until the tightrope aired, and everyone just went, what? The, oh no, there's Canada 150 challenges, ugh. Which makes you think that with how over-the-top they were with it this year, that next season we wouldn't get as much Canadian travel. But we thought that last year. Yeah, I thought that last year. You didn't. (laughs) And um, 
Did you hear that Monty did an interview this week on uh, TSN? No. Uh, please tell me about this. He was on some sort of show called Jay and Dan, I think it was. Oh my god, this has been referenced on Twitter where some random guy on Twitter wants the Major Race Canada Celebrity Edition and wants those two guys on it. I've never heard of these two guys, by the way. Neither have I, but Monty was being interviewed for the finale on it. And friend of the show, Kurt Reptile, tipped me off to this. Because I've got a little quote prepared for you. If you had to pick someone to be a contestant with, who would it be? Well, maybe Jay or Dan. They know their way around the world. But uh, I couldn't pick my wife. We've established that we would only <laughs> do well at the challenges if we ever got to them. And that, uh, that's not a real likely possibility in a timely fashion with her and I. One of my sisters is maybe a bit more competitive than the other, but in that same breath, maybe not as easy to take as the other one. So uh, I don't know who the hell I would take. But How about James uh, Duffy? Have to be... James Duffy? Yes, James. Uh. James, James, buddy. If yeah. we ever become unemployed by CTV and we get to be on this race, I'm calling you, bro. Well, I, I don't think he's worked for eight or nine months, so <laughs> you'd have to find him. You'd have to track him down, John. That's awesome. James Duffy got... Fired by C- by TSN? I knew that would bring happiness to you. <laughs> did you look for James Duffy on Twitter after you listened to that? I did not. I was only tipped off to it at the back end of last night and had to somehow find the um, find the audio so I could rip it for you today. James Duffy not working for TSN for almost a year. What did he do? He's been with TSN forever. Like, for people who are outside of Canada and have... Have seen Amazing Race Canada, but don't live in Canada. James Duffy has been a TSN sports analyst since I uh, since as long as I can remember. So in the late '90s, he's already working for TSN. And then, because I don't really watch sports at all, I just watch uh, uh, mixed martial arts. So I don't really watch TSN for that coverage at all. Just the online uh, blogging websites. And then all of a sudden, in Amazing Race Canada too. Who's hosting the mid-reunion special but James Duffy from TSN 17 years after I was first exposed to him? Probably a bit longer now, almost 20 years. And James Duffy is Logan's nemesis, can I find out? Yeah, like he was a huge douchebag on Twitter. <laughs> James Duffy was the first person involved in Amazing Race Canada who actually um, bit back to Logan. Yeah, because he had no idea who I was, so he was just this really douchey guy because... Um, Jinder passed on one of my tweets where I made fun of James Duffy, and then Duffy had this super douchey tweet where it's like, well, hey, hey, Duffy, you're just a sports analyst. You don't know anything about Amazing Race, so shut the hell up. I love how angry it made you. But seriously, like, he just treated Amazing Race like a sport. Amazing Race is not a sport, ladies and gentlemen, no matter how much Gino and Jesse and Canadian casual fans want you to think it is. It is, however, hilarious how angry James Duffy makes you. But what's great is that James Duffy hasn't been brought back to do anything with the Masonry's Canada since season three. Nemesis defeated. Yes. But yeah, I think basically Kevin and Ryan are a large part of why this season didn't work, and production's treatment of Kevin and Ryan especially is a large part of why I didn't enjoy this season. Especially because we saw it coming, like, before the season started, we said, this team might rival Gino. This was right from ep- before episode one started, where we said that Kevin and Ryan were probably going to be our least favorite team since Gino and Jesse. 
And boy, oh boy, did they deliver it on that. And then what made it much worse is that production tried to hype up Kevin and Ryan every single episode as much as possible. Despite the fact they won one leg, Adam and Andrea won more legs. They won the, they smoked the first leg and then weren't really all that relevant after that. Especially like, it would have been something else if we had 20 givers instead of 131. Yeah, especially when the guys who literally won the season placed on the podium for 9 of the 11 episodes. And the worst they managed was 4th. Yeah, just barely outside the podium for 2 of those legs. Like, I just genuinely do not know why we ended up with a season like this. Yeah, because it really screwed over Sam and Paul from having an appropriate uh, winner's edit or an appropriate, or even just an appropriate story arc. Sam and Paul don't really get any of that for a team that wins an unprecedented number, or, pardon me, Natalie and Megan, for winning an unprecedented number of legs for a team that goes on to win the season. Like, this, no other team has won five in a row. Not even Natalie and Megan won five in a row. And they got screwed. By production. Mm-hmm. There's no other word for it. So, did, were there any other questions about this season? Nope. Is there anything else I ever want to say about this season? Nope. So, yeah, this is pretty much it for the series, um, which is a very weird thing to, to really say on this podcast. So, yeah, Mason Race Canada did not go out on the highest note. There's that 1% of optimism that they're going to change the entire format for next season in a good way. But man, oh man, what they set up at the end of the season is any indication. We're not going to get what we want. Not anytime soon. I'm an incredibly optimistic person, but this season has broken me. And what's worse is that next season might be the last. Like, we might get... That's not worse. That's the best. I want the show cancelled. But... Like, with Amazing Race American version, we knew that 29 might be the end, and all we wanted was just a really good season to have things end on. And if the series ended with 29, the American version, that's awesome that it goes out on a really strong note. And hopefully 30 does the same as well, if that's what ends up happening to 30. But here with Amazing Race Canada, we know that it's a six-season contract, and whatever, if next season is an all-star season that is all domestic legs, or nearly all domestic legs again, overlapping locations, and tasks that were as weak as what we saw this season, then it's going to be the most disappointing throwaway of potential that a series has ever done, given the enormous, enormous ratings and numbers it had when the series first premiered uh, five years, or four years ago. And it's not just that, it's the fact that it lived up to all the good ratings for Season 2. Season 3 had a fantastic cast that was ruined by the ending. But Seasons 2 and 3 were really, really good. And mm -hmm. then Season 4, the location started getting worse and the cast was still pretty good. And Season 5 has just been a dumpster fire. There was nothing new added to the Season 2, that's the other thing. That's probably my, the final point I'll make, is that... They did the most generic format for the season where nothing new was added. And even the non-elimination format was the most generic uh, one that they could have done. It was just 765 for the non-eliminations. And the face-offs were, or the double battles, pardon me, were in the two same spots that we've seen since season three. There was no shake-up to that either. 
and the triple express pass. That's the one twist we never wanted to see. And even though production tried to force that twist in the game, it was all done by the next episode. Two years ago, in fact, it was about 18 months ago. About 18 months ago, I did a blog where I said how Amazing Race Canada 4 can rectify the issues that we'd had in the previous season. And in it, I said that they need to quote a Survivor to adapt or they would be voted out. And for the first time ever, a franchise is being voted out of reality TV Warriors. That should tell you all you need to know. From two massive fans of Amazing Race, this show has become untenable now for us. So we're cutting it adrift. Pirate Master reference. What a way to end it out on uh, Cameron. We have given this the black spot, and I'm voting. I'm cutting that cord now. <laughs> it's going to be sent out on a raft with a single lantern to be probably shown on Sky One on a Saturday morning at about 7 o'clock or whatever Pirate Master was shown at over here. <laughs> we're cutting it adrift. That's the thing. If Amazing Race Canada coverage ever comes back to reality TV Warriors, it will not be with me. Because you did threaten it this season. Alright. So, on that note, that does it. Hopefully Hunted starts airing soon. Yeah, we are expecting Hunted anytime soon. Channel 4 are a bit lacklustre with actually telling us when things start, but it started fourth week of September last year, so I'm expecting to start the coverage probably in about two weeks' time. But I get a little break before then, which is nice. So, probably down the road you're going to see Hunted UK podcasts, Hunted US podcasts? Yeah, you're definitely seeing Hunted UK. We're going to do something for Celebrity Hunted as well. I'm not sure if there'll be any other shows at the end of the year, maybe if something cool comes on, but we'll definitely do both UK Hunteds this year. Anything else I'm not sure about. Otherwise, it'll probably be Amazing Race 30. And Amazing Race 30 is not expected to air for a while. <laughs> well, it was the week of my birthday last year. Uh, this year, wasn't it? So it was back end of March. Six months? Is that going to be our next Amazing Race podcast? Is six months? I think it will be, yeah. Man, I'm going to be doing a lot of Tarstorian then. <laughs> Have you even done anything on Tarstorian during Amazing Race Canada 5? <laughs> no, because I've been doing all the stuff for New Zealand Survivor and Australian Survivor, so it's been tough to find time. It's been a lot. So I've been doing Keeping Up with the Complaints blogs too for Amazing Race Canada this season. Let's be honest, we'll probably find some sort of show to talk about in the gap, but I'm not sure what it'll be just yet. Maybe next New Zealand Survivor. All right, so, yeah, that's it. I'm Logan Saunders. You can follow me at LogSuperKuwaki on Twitter, and you can follow Michael Harmstone at MJ Harmstone. Thank you for listening to this season. Peace out and just chill till the next episode. And thank you for listening to all our Amazing Race Canada coverage. It will never be back. <laughs> But I, I would like to um, to finish with a montage of the best bits of this season of Amazing Race Canada 5. I think I've left enough silence. <laughs> what a great montage. <laughs>